hear God's word to you this morning. So Elahaz has just railed against Job once again, and this is Job's reply to him. Then Job replied, I have heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I, I also could speak like you. If you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. Surely, O oh God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. You have bound me, and it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. Men open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to evil men and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping. Deep shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure. O oh, earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God, as a man pleads for his friend. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts this morning. You may be seated. Kick us, get us right back to where we need to be in terms of context. As the first cycle of speeches ended, we saw Job crying out to God. We saw this on, um, last week. He was complaining about his deep sorrow and his suffering, as we just heard also in uh, this chapter that we just read, chapter 16. He was expressing last week, remember, he was expressing a wish that God would hide him in the grave until, if you remember, until God's wrath is passed, and then that God would call him again, bring him back to, back to life once his wrath and his anger had passed. He had that flash of hope, that wish. But then we saw last week, he went back into a deep depression because his eyes went away from heaven. He went back to his current circumstances. And all he saw was the grave awaiting him. That's where we're at. I just want you to see that. What an outcry it was. You would think 
You would think at this point, his friends would stop their pontificating and give it a rest. You think they would see the sheer torment their friend is in and just remain silent. But instead, as you see, they did not remain silent. Instead, this is interesting, they considered themselves wise men. And yet they were really, as we'll see in a moment, they were acting as immature children who had their feelings hurt. Here's Job in misery, and they're worried about they got their feelings hurt. You ever meet people like that? <laughs> you know, you're on a bed of pain, and one little word upset them, and it's all about them. Anybody with me? At least three guys. In the name of God, it was really all about them. And we'll see that more and more as we go on. The thing here is they would not, for the life of them, let go of their original thesis. You know, I don't know about you, but you ever, you ever know those people who when a job needs to be done, they only have one tool in their tool belt? A hammer, right? And if anything's broken, they just keep hammering away at the hammer with a hammer. And sometimes when you use a hammer for a certain job, what ends up happening? It just makes it, you just keep making more damage because maybe it needed a little finesse. You with me? Maybe it needed a little wrench or a nice screwdriver. These guys, they won't give up, man. They're hammer. And what's their hammer? Here's their hammer to Job. How could you maintain your innocence when God has obviously struck you like this and God never strikes the righteous like this. Here's their maxim. It was the maxim of the elders of the day. If you're wicked, you get punished. If you're righteous, God blesses you. No exceptions. You, Job, you're a hot mess. You obviously must have brought this on yourself. And what I think is interesting, even when you do bring the suffering on yourself, how much do you appreciate when your counselor keeps rubbing that in your face? And here you got Job, who as we've talked about again and again, was not sinless, but he was a righteous man who walked with God by faith. He didn't do anything wicked out of the ordinary that would deserve the kind of suffering that he had, and yet these three guys, boy, there's something else. So each of these three friends in this next cycle of spe speeches, they strike the same tired, worn-out chord over and over again. In the first cycle of speeches, they were trying to be a little polite. They were being a little indirect, trying to have Job add two to two together. This time, no holes barred. Now they're harsh. Now they're direct. And now they're flat out to his face calling them names. So, and that's another thing. Do you ever notice people when their arguments don't work because they're not logical? What do they do? They end up just turning into insults. I got, it's called ad hominem abusive. I don't have a good logical argument, so I'm just going to start calling you names. One, one last thing, and then we'll jump into it. I want you to see this, because I, I have been reading and listening to the MP3s of these seven chapters over and over and over again this past week. And one of the things I want you to remember, because you can miss the, the, the trees for the forest, right? Or miss the forest with trees, excuse me. That is how you say it. You could do that if you miss this, and that's this. Remember the beginning of the book really quick. I just want you to remember this. You remember the whole issue was, God says to the devil, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on, on him like, like him on the face of the earth. 
a man who truly fears God and shuns evil. Remember that? And then the devil says, yeah, all right. I'll tell you what. He only serves you because you protect him with a little hedge. He's your little house cat, like my cat Lucy. You take good care of him. That's why he loves you and serves you. But I'll tell you what. Let me take all that good stuff away, and I'll have Job curse you. And we'll see how righteous your, this, this son that you saved for yourself is. And you remember what God says. Go ahead. Just in. And the second time he says, but just don't kill him. But you could do anything else. And it's like, like in that movie Aladdin. He's like, I thought you can't die. And Aladdin goes, but you'd be surprised at what you could live through. Well, that's Job. You'd be surprised at what you can live through. So why I bring this up is because I want you to understand that's the struggle. The struggle is the three friends and Job have no idea that this went on in heaven. You understand? And so Job for the life of him, the poor guy, think about this. Job for the life of him is like, I can't understand this. I can't wrap my brain. I've walked with God. God knows me. You know, God knows things that are hidden. He knows. And, and later on, he's going to go on and list all the things he did. He took care of the poor. He, he was respectful to the elderly. He didn't look lust after women. He kept his vows to God. And what he can't understand, why would you treat me like an enemy? Why are you relentlessly pursuing me? Why don't you even give me a moment's break? That's Job. He's like, I can't get this. And the three friends, they don't get it at all. They're completely out in left field. Thinking that Job man, must have done something. Because they're stuck in that philosophy of theirs. So that's the context. And now Job is getting it from all sides. He's getting it from the three friends who are supposed to give him some, some comfort and mercy. And he's getting it from his God and he doesn't know why. So listen, here's the point I want you to see why I bring this up. You realize God couldn't tell Job why he was suffering. Job doesn't know this, but if God tells Job what's going on, the test is over. There's no test. He, and then he didn't prove to the devil that he can save someone in such a way by his grace that that person would serve him just because of who he is and because of his spiritual redemption. And so think about it this way. It's like a father having to watch his son go through this and yet not being able to communicate to him. Not yet, son, I can't tell you. And we know throughout the scriptures God suffers when his people suffer. And if you don't believe that, look at the cross. That's for another sermon. So Job is left, as the old Genesis song puts it. Is anybody listening? Oh, no reply at all. I get nothing. So he's in the dark, he's thrashing about, trying to find some type of solid ground to cling to. He just wants a little compassion, wants a little pity from his friends. But instead, he just gets the same old broken record. And so as we look at the second cycle of speeches, I'm gonna, we're just going to see three things. We're going to see, first of all, that Job's friends double down. More of the same. Secondly, we're going to see Job goes around and around. But the last thing we're going to see is that there are lessons to be found. So let's take a look at Job. Job's friends doubled down, and I'm going to, so much rich material. I beg you 
to read those chapters today in your devotions, chapters uh, 15 to 21, because I can't do them all justice this morning, so I'm going to just take some sections that represent what his friends say and do here. So we see Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They just double down on their original arguments about, uh, against Job's outcries of being the object of God's anger for no reason. And now, although in these chapters, they don't really further their argument at all, they do become more severe and more um, stuck in them as they go against Job. So in chapter 15, we see that Eliphaz's pride has been hurt, as I mentioned, by Job's rebuttals. And he comes, now here's the interesting thing I want you to see. Elahaz will come out and flatly contradict God's verdict about Job. You remember what Job said earlier? I mean, God said earlier, he, Job's a, a, a righteous man, a, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And when God says that somebody is, is someone who fears God and shuns evil, you know what God is calling that person? A wise man. In the Bible, the definition of wisdom is to fear God and to shun evil. So God, in no uncertain terms, is saying, there's a wise man. And his name is Job. Let's see what Eliphaz says. Verse 2 of chapter 15. Would a wise man answer with empty notions or fill his belly with the hot east wind? Would he argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Eliphaz is basically saying, a wise man, Job, would never talk the way you're talking. So what's the implication? You ain't a wise man. And in the Bible, what's the opposite of a wise man? A fool. Worse than that, Job, and, and I think, wow, this was like, when I saw this, it was like pay dirt for this whole book and all the study. It really was. Worse than that, says Eliphaz, this is what he's claiming to Job. Listen, this is important. Your words actually pull the rug, rug out from under, of, under true religion. They're a stumbling block to devotion to God. In other words, if you're, what you're proposing is true, Job. If you're innocent of any great wrongdoing, and yet God is still pouring his anger out upon you, which is an assumption, by the way, right? Because God wasn't angry with Job then the theological maxim at the heart of our religious system would be destroyed. In other words, if Job is right, their whole world and life view is shattered. <laughs> they have to start from scratch. You, you know, I've found this out when I've tried to witness to older people. Do you ever notice that there are statistics out there that say most people come to Christ before 19? The larger percentage doesn't mean people don't get saved when they're older but it's a smaller percentage percentage why because we're prideful we get stuck in our ways and it's much harder for an older person to say i have to repudiate my whole life it's kind of hard when you're 70 to say i was wrong for 70 years jesus is right and i was wrong 
And these three friends, they're not giving up the ghost. For them, Job threatens, right, their religion, their religious principles. Because look, that's what he says. You undermine piety. You hinder devotion to God. So their system was an ironclad closed system, which says, as I mentioned earlier, God punishes the wicked, he rewards the righteous, and here's the problem with their view. Period. End of story. Absolutely no exceptions. Now listen, the Bible clearly teaches that whether it's in this life or the life to come, the wicked will get theirs. Amen? The Bible also teaches that the righteous will be rewarded. But of course, Job didn't know this the way we know it. But it's not in this life. It's in the life of the world to come. However, even in that maxim, the whole point, of, one of the biggest points of the book of Job is there are exceptions. Life isn't that clear cut. It's not that simplistic. When we meet different people, you know, they'll say, you know, be, be gentle with the person you meet today because you never know what they're going through. You ever hear that? Everybody has a story? Well, each circumstance is different. We don't know. We are not privy to the mind of the Lord that we know why suffering, God has allowed suffering in, in individuals' lives. And Job is basically saying, I'm exhibit A, friends, <laughs> that your view is totally off. Why aren't you listening to me? You need to change gears. The wicked in this life don't always get what's coming to them. And the righteous sometimes experience, listen, this is important, sometimes experience unearned suffering. And as we've seen throughout this book, Job suffers not because he's wicked, but because he's righteous. And of course, Jesus tells us in the New Testament, they persecuted me, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. The old saying goes, his friends are basically saying, Job, don't confuse us with the facts. It messes us up. So what we have here, though, is we have a man in severe pain and severe confusion, crying out for a little comfort, a little understanding from those who are supposed to be his friends. And he's also crying out, God, just speak to me. And some of his cries of God wronging him and being unjust, I think you're trying to provoke God to just say something. <laughs> you ever been there? If you read chapter 15, you'll see that Eliphaz's description of the wicked are clear references to Job and what happened to him. Feel free in your time to look that up. He's basically saying... The wicked lose their health, wealth, and family suddenly as a punishment and as retribution from God. This happened to you, so if the shoe fits, that's Elahaz. Now I'm going to jump to Bildad. Bildad strikes the same chord, but maybe from a little different angle. He's speaking about the wicked in verse 18. And he says this, The memory of him perishes from the earth. He has no name in the land. He is driven from light into darkness and is banished from the world. Now listen, this is important. He has no offspring or descendants among his people. No survivor where once he lived. Men of the West are appalled at his fate. 
Men of the east are seized with horror. Surely such is the dwelling of an evil man. Such is the place of one who what? Knows not God. You want to talk about extreme insensitivity? You know what he's saying to Job? How do you think Job would feel when he hears these words? He has no, no offspring or descendants among his people. Job would look at the nine graves of his entire family except for his wife. And he would know exactly who Bildad's referring to. And he would know exactly that his friend is calling him an evil man. And he's saying, Job, that's why this happened to you. So stop your railing against God. You got what you deserve. You made your bed, now lie in it. And then notice in verse 21, surely such is the dwelling of an evil man, such is the place of one who knows not God. Eliphaz, you're not a wise man, you're a wicked man. Bildad, you don't know God. Listen, you know what he's saying? You're not saved. Right? If you don't know God, then guess what? You're not a Christian. That's a heavy thing to be claiming. And then Zophar, we're not even going to spend any time on Zophar because Zophar just basically insults him. Zophar basically says, how dare you insult me? You hurt my feelings. You're not going to escape God's wrath. Your wickedness is going to be revealed for what it is. That's where he's at. So much for the friends doubling down. Now we're going to see Job goes round and round. Job expresses his exasperation with his friends. Look at um, chapter 16, verse 2 uh, to 5 for an example. Job says, I've heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. All he is, my mom would say. Will, you, will your long-winded speeches never end? <laughs> and I love this. This to me, I, just, I don't know why it just hit me. When he says, what ails you that you would keep on arguing? You know, I could also speak like you if you were in my place. I can make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. What Job is saying is, man, you guys are really guys of one idea, aren't you? I've heard you. I've heard it the umpteenth time you told me. And then listen, this is interesting. He says, miserable counselors. There's a, com a, a commentator who says, that's an oxymoron. Think about that. A comforter is supposed to what? Comfort. But these guys aren't bringing comfort. What are they bringing? Misery. <laughs> Miserable counselors. And then he says this. What in the world is in your craw that keeps you arguing? Why won't you just give it a rest? I don't get it. What, what, what's driving you to continue to drive me into the ground? You know, I'm the one who's been decimated, absolutely leveled by God, and you're the ones arguing like you've been wronged. That doesn't make any sense. And then he says, you know, if the roles were reversed, brothers, I'd be comforting you. I wouldn't be driving you into the dirt. 
wouldn't be sticking salt in your wound. But Job turns back to himself and he says, whether I vent to you all like this, let it all out, or whether I keep it all to myself, no matter what I do, my pain won't go away. It's relentless. And he goes into an eloquent lament for the rest of this chapter, outlining the depths of how God has devastated his whole family. We don't have time to go into that. But 1710, chapter 1710, he basically says this to his friends. Come on, all of you, try again. <laughs> He's like, really? Come on, try again. All I could think of was that Pink Floyd song. Wrong, guess again. I don't know why that hit me, but it did. And I see you're falling asleep. I know I need to wake you up. And Job says, I will not find a wise man, man among you. How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. Francis Anderson puts it so well. He says this, the friends are detached. Job is involved. They are on the balcony. He is in the street. They're all worried about philosophy. Oh, it might ruin our philosophy. We'll have to, you know, change our thought system. While Job is struggling for his stinking life. They're on the balcony. Bringing the popcorn and the soda. So Job has words for them, and we will read this. Chapter 21. Chapter 21. Job says, so, the wicked are punished and the righteous are always blessed. And this is what Job is going to say to them. He says, listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation that you give me. In other words, you, can, you want to console me? Shut up and listen. Bear with me while I speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. Is my complaint directed to man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at, look at me and be astonished. Clap your hand over your mouth. When I think about this, I'm terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Now listen, this is profound. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not upon them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of tambourine and harp. They make merry to the sound of the flute. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the, com 
from the counsel of the wicked. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them? The fate God allots in his anger. How often are they like straw before the wind, like shafts swept away by a gale? It is said God stores up a man's punishment for his sons. Let him repay the man himself so that he will know it. Let his own eyes see his destruction. Let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care about the family he leaves behind when his allotted months come to an end? I'm going to stop there. We can keep going, but I won't. Job takes them to school. And he says, you need to get out more. You didn't need me to tell you these things. Go out in society. Are the wicked all suffering? Do the wicked have the kind of plagues that I have against me in my household? No, as a matter of fact, show me where this punishment is. They have tons of healthy kids. And their kids are all jamming to music, singing, dancing. If I want to see my kids, I got to go to the grave. They're buried under the dirt. And so there is something here where he totally demolishes their arguments. And just like that, that movie, My Cousin Vinny, which watch on TV because there's too much cussing. I'm done with these guys, Job says. I'm done with these guys. But Job has a bigger problem. And it's not his three friends. It's God. Because now Job is stepping over the line. Now Job is basically insinuating that God is not fair. Hello? It's a real struggle, isn't it? When you're going through it. When you're going through it, and it seems like God's not listening, and it seems like God's not there, and as that old saying goes, if you're going through a test, remember the teacher is quiet during a test. And sometimes, if we want to be honest, we want to say to God, your silence is deafening. And yet we need to be careful, don't we? God will speak in this book. We've got a little while yet to go. But when God does speak, Job won't be pontificating either. <laughs> but we'll see, because he was a righteous man, I don't want to go too far ahead, he puts his hand over his mouth and he repents. Because he realizes he was speaking about things too wonderful for him and things he didn't know. But I want to just go to this as we uh, finish up for this morning. And I want you to see, even this early on, the last thing, there are more lessons to be found, even this early on in the book, that Job does turn to God, that deep in his heart, the God he's wrestling with, he knows is there, and he knows eventually God will vindicate him, and the truth is going to come out. Look at verses, first of all, we've seen it in chapter 9, we've seen it last week in chapter 14, where all of a sudden, inexplicably, he turns to God and with some hope. Chapter 17, 3, he says, he says, Give me, O God, the pledge you demand. 
Who else will put up security for me? Let me tell you why this is striking. This is crazy because this is intense. He's saying to God, you're the only one who could pay my bail against you. <laughs> so against yourself, I want you to pay my bail and get me out. I want you to represent me against you. And that's where you do the whole little rascals. Oh, Augustine once prayed this, and it's now a famous prayer. Oh, Lord, command what you will, but then give what you command. And Job is saying, okay, you want to you put a bail out for me? Then pay it, because there's nobody down here that can. Certainly not me. Now, Job didn't know what would be revealed thousands of years later, that God would indeed be our advocate with God. Now, how can God be our advocate with God? Well, we know that God the Son is our advocate with who? God the Father. We know that, that God is three in one. Job didn't fully know that, but then he didn't have it all worked out. But he knew somehow God has to intercede on his behalf to himself. So look, he says this. In uh, chapter 17, verse 15, I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping. Deep shadows ring around my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of, of violence and my prayer is pure. Now listen, verse 18. O earth, do not cover up my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. And my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. These words are hard to understand how Job could pray like this but I'll tell you what this even though Job was flying blind I will venture to say the spirit of God in him was already predicting forward in a very shadowy way that we do have a friend in heaven that we do have an advocate that we do have someone who is not unattached or cannot sympathize but we have one who is just like we are, but yet what? Without sin. And he will intercede, and he does intercede between us and God. Next, next time we will get into the high watermark of Job's hope in the midst of his suffering in chapter 19 where he says, I know my Redeemer lives. If, if, if everything's blown you away up to this point, that's really going to blow you away. But I'm going to close with this. Job doesn't curse God. He doesn't forsake his walk with God, but he continues to bring his pain, his disappointment, his perplexity to God in prayer and in lament. He still struggles for hope, as it were, and he believes that somehow, someway, someday, God will indeed take up his case and vindicate him. So brothers and sisters, what I want to say is this. We have so much more revelation than Job had in Christ Jesus. 
How much more does this wonderful example of Job encourage us to take our pain? Because come on, we really, we have pain, the side of glory. To take our disappointment. If I'm talking to real people, I know we've been, there's no one in this room that can say I've never been disappointed with God or his, what he's done. We could take that pain. We could take that disappointment. We could take that disillusionment. And instead of venting, venting it out, especially to ungodly counselors, but even to fellow believers who are just mere mortals, take it to God. Bring it before his feet. And in faith, hope, and love, wait for the Lord. Be patient and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We don't understand your ways. There are some things that until the day we meet you face to face, we just will not understand. We're not capable. But we do know you, even as Job knew you, and he would not give up hoping that in the end you would stand for him and make things right. We know what he didn't know clearly, you have done that for us already in Christ. That Jesus, you took our pain, you took our shame, you took our scorn, you took our sin. When you died on the cross, that we might be right with the Father and live with him not only now, but forever in paradise. As we continue to worship you as we partake of this holy supper strengthen our hearts not with ceremonial foods but by your grace we ask it in jesus name amen